0: But we will be in Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30. I'm going to pray for us really quick. And then we can look at what the Apostle Paul is teaching this church here this morning. So Father, I do plead with you this morning that you would give us soft hearts, you would open our ears to what your word has to say. Father, we will never be able to understand or live out what your word says unless your Holy Spirit is so powerfully influencing us and changing our hearts to love you more. And so I ask this morning, that for those who, of your children who are weak and need encouragement, that they would find it this morning in this text. That those children who are stubbornly living in disobedience to you, that you would be so kind and lead them to repentance. And for those whom you've called that have not responded, those whose hearts are hard, and that you will soften in your time, that you would use this morning to wake them up. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we saw Paul make this incredible claim that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if if you weren't here, then let me fill you in on what's going on up to this point. We are finishing up chapter 1 of Philippians, and there is so much that is happening so far. Paul, at this moment in his life, is in prison. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. He's faced opposition and persecution for most of his Christian life. On one of Paul's very first missionary journeys to Macedonia, he finds himself in this small Roman town called Philippi. He preaches the gospel there to a businesswoman named Lydia, and on his way to her house casts a demon out from a slave girl. The owners of the slave girl were not happy about that, brings Paul and Silas to the authorities, beats them, throws them into Prison. And while in prison, Paul converts. Paul preaches the gospel again to the guard. And we see the guard and his whole household believe and be baptized. Time has passed now, up from when Paul first met the Philippians to now, and he finds himself in prison again for for preaching and proclaiming the gospel. But this time, Paul does not know when or even if he's going to get out of prison. Let's talk of an execution. You see, when Paul went to the Philippians, there was this deep and intimate relationship that was built between the two when the philippians found out that paul was in prison they wanted to send him some gifts to let him know paul we're with you we haven't forgot about you they sent him what we would call now sending to college students a care package that's what they sent to paul is they sent paul a care package and so Paul, in return, writes a letter to fill this church in on how he is doing. And This is where we find Paul declaring this beautiful sentence, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is confronted right now while he is writing this with the reality of life or death. However, we see Paul concluding that to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so convinced of this, Paul says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so what Paul was telling the Philippian church was that even though he was in prison, he was convinced, absolutely convinced, that he would come to them so that they could progress in their joy and faith. And so what Paul is doing in this section of Scripture, verses 27 through 30, is showing them what it looks like to live for Christ. Only now, what Paul is going to do is to encourage them to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is a question that is on most minds, I think. How can I live for Jesus? Now this question should really be on all of our minds if we proclaim christ as our savior how do i make my life count for jesus how do i live right now in 2021 for jesus And what paul is going to answer is this question what does a life worthy of the gospel of christ look like that's what paul is going to answer for us this morning What does a life worthy of the gospel of Christ look like? Paul is going to answer this by showing us three worthy actions and then two clear signs of living a worthy life. But before answering that question, what we need to understand better is why Paul in the first place is encouraging them to live a life worthy of the gospel. We come to verse 27. The first part of it, we see Paul encouraging them, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. The CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, translates this verse saying, as citizens of heaven live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. The ESV, which is the Bible that we have underneath our chairs and that I'm reading from this morning, recognizes that citizens of heaven is probably a better translation instead of manner. With that being said, this gives us a pretty good idea of why Paul is encouraging this people to live a worthy life for Christ. Like I briefly mentioned in the introduction, this is a... Roman town. And as Paul has mentioned in the beginning of this letter, and we'll mention later in the letter, the Philippians have some opponents. It would be easy for this church to crumble under the threat of their opponents Rely on their citizenship as Romans instead of living as citizens of heaven. Therefore, we have the reason for Paul's encouragement to remind them that they are citizens of heaven first and foremost not citizens of Rome. This is why Paul, in this passage, and then we'll explain later on in chapter 2 and 3, what it's like to live worthy lives of the gospel of Christ. In 1984, a song was released that gained some attention, but not a lot. However, it was in 2001, after September 11th, that would change. It would gain a lot of attention. If you knew me and you, you knew the fact that I'm using a country song as an illustration, you would, you would probably chuckle. Um, because, uh, you know what, I'm just not even going to go there. Almost every radio station was playing this song. God bless the USA. And almost everybody that listened to this song, right when the chorus came, would shout it out at the top of their lungs, And I'm proud to be an American. Now, there is nothing wrong with being an American. It's even okay to love the country you are in. But if you are a Christian, you are first and foremost a citizen of heaven. Not America. This means that we as followers of Christ need to be concerned with living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ first and foremost. That means we here in the year 2021 need to seriously pay attention to what Paul is about to tell the Philippian church. Who could have relied on their Roman citizenship instead of being citizens of heaven? So, let's look at these three worthy actions as living a worthy life to Christ. To Paul, the obvious answer of living as a citizen of heaven or a citizen of Rome is that he wants this church to care more about being citizens of heaven than of Rome. So this is why Paul tells them he wants to hear, whether he is present in front of them or absent, three things that are showing or proving three actions of a worthy life as a citizen of heaven. He tells them, Whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, uh, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Three actions Paul lays out here. Standing firm in one spirit is a First. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel is the second. And the third is not being frightened by the opponents that are around you. Simply put, Paul wants to see this church act as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ by being unified, striving side by side to make gospel progress in their lives and fearlessly not letting their opponents distract them. In the next chapter, what Paul is going to do is he's going to go into greater detail of what this looks like. That if there is any encouragement, Paul says, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. We saw at the beginning of this letter that Paul is praying for them to be unified. Paul's main concern here is that this church, as persecution and opposition get higher and the fiery furnace gets turned up in their area a little bit more, that instead of splintering and cracking, that they would be unified underneath the banner of Jesus Christ. When I was in college, I had the unique privilege of of playing basketball for the best team I've ever been on. Really, it it was such an unexpected team and season. That year, for our conference and division of Christian College basketball, we ended up being nationally ranked, either one or two, my mind, I forget, And we made it to the March Madness of Christian College Tournament being a two-seed, meaning that we were the second best team at that tournament. Out of everybody in the nation for Christian colleges, we were the second best team. It was totally unexpected and unpredicted. The following year... With practically the same players and same coaches, we lost nearly half our games and did not make it to the tournament at all. We we weren't even close. What happened between that first season and the second season? If you talk to any coach or sports enthusiast, the smart ones, they will tell you that every successful team is united on the front and striving towards one goal together, knowing where they best fit in on that team and saying, this is what I'm going to do. teams that suffer have a bunch of teams or a bunch of players on their teams on their team that are only out for themselves all they care about is their next game so that way they can look good in front of everybody else there wasn't unity we weren't striving side by side and we were playing not to lose Fearing our opponents. Guys, look, you cannot go rogue being a Christian. If you are a a Christian here this morning or you're watching online, what you need to know is you cannot walk this journey, this pilgrimage, this Christian life alone. You need a local church. You need a Sunday gathering you need a weekly gathering outside of that Sunday gathering with more Christians in that local church that you are striving side by side to make gospel progress You need, we need, community church needs, just like the Philippian church, a fearless, firm unity with one another that is based off of the sacrificial love of Christ. This is, in fact, Jesus' prayer in John. When he is... Praying the high priestly prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, why does Jesus pray for this? And then Paul encouraged the Philippians to live like this. To live in a fearless, firm unity with one another that is based off of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to tell us, because there are two clear signs of living a worthy life the gospel of Christ. The three actions Paul tells us are how we should live a worthy life. And right here, these two clear signs show us what a worthy life will look like as we walk out those three actions that Paul gives us. That is, When we live in a firm, fearless unity for Christ, it means, first, the destruction of your opponents, and second, it shows us our salvation. You see, once again, Paul is calling this church to a faith that produces works. So why is the first clear sign the destruction of their opponents? Because it shows the reality of the gospel. (laughs) When a church is ferociously unified, Standing together, striving side by side for the advancement of the gospel, not fearing their opponents. It's the reality of the power of the gospel that has taken root in the hearts of people. So while the Philippians are being persecuted by their opponents, what's actually happening is their opponents are heaping burning coals on their own heads. Their opponents are heaping judgment on themselves. Now that's the first. The first clear sign of living out these three actions are heaping destruction. Not heaping, but, but it's the destruction of their opponents. Now the second is your salvation. Being bought by the blood of Jesus causes Something strange to happen in people. They love one another like a family. They don't only look to their own interests now, but they look to the interests of their brothers and sisters more highly than their own. And so when you experience the transforming power of the gospel, you go from a very selfish, individualistic human being that is only out for themselves into a selfish, individualistic human being that has been transformed by the power of the gospel and now looks at other Christians and says, how can I serve you and put to death the deeds of my own flesh. But through this clear sign of salvation, Paul actually tells us something that would catch us by surprise. He says, For it has been granted, or we could say given, The salvation, the salvation has been given to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him. So salvation causes you to believe in him. But what Paul is saying, that the clear sign of these three actions is not that you would only believe in him, but that in him, let me rephrase this. For it has been given to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for him. So salvation, when we are living out these three actions, produce a clear sign of of salvation, which is not only belief in Jesus, but suffering for Jesus. Simply put, Paul is saying that A clear sign of your salvation because the gospel has been given to you is not only to believe in Jesus but also to suffer for Jesus. (laughs) We don't really like to talk about that though here in the States, do we? Love the the comfortableness of our Christian faith of being able to believe in Jesus but never having to suffer for Jesus. Jesus. And yet, what Paul is telling us is that the clear sign of these three actions is your salvation and underneath that is that salvation isn't that you only believe in Jesus but that you would suffer for Jesus as well. Do you see the Christian faith as a suffering faith? Because the Apostle Paul certainly has. One where Jesus asks his disciples, hey, look guys, you drink the cup of of persecution? And they say, yeah. And he says, you will. Peter, crucified upside down. James, stones to death before or after he was thrown off of a building. Paul is going to have his... Head cut off. And this is what Paul tells us living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ looks like. So the appropriate question that we could ask ourselves is why? This is important, and we can't miss it. Life worthy of the gospel of Christ is a life that displays the gospel of Christ. This is why Paul is encouraging them to live this life worthy according to the gospel of Christ. This is why Paul, and we'll see this next week in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11 shows the Philippians how Christ lived this life. and He does it by dying for the sins of those who would believe in him. He dies for the sins of the world. And how does Jesus display this? How does Jesus display this sacrificial love? He does so by living in perfect unity with the Father and the Spirit, counting our interests more highly than himself, by humbling himself and striving on during his life fearlessly rejecting his opponent's taunts and ultimately dying. Think about that. Christ loved you enough to die for you. Rarely a good man would do that. But a perfect man does that so that we could have eternal life. And so if you're not a Christian in here this morning, I'd just like to invite you in to think about something. Has it ever caused you to wonder why some Christians are even willing to die for their faith? This is why. Because the persecution that this church is going to face and is facing, when they are fearlessly, firmly unified, striving to make progress in the gospel, it ultimately points to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is why we read Paul at the end of this chapter using his life as an example. He tells them, Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. What Paul is saying here is, Look at my life as an example of what I've just told you. Next week we'll see how then Paul points to Christ. But Paul is saying, Look, Guys, you saw me thrown in prison. Ask ask Lydia. She was right there with me from the beginning. I've been in prison multiple times. I've been stoned on multiple occasions. Oftentimes, they thought I was dead, so they threw my body out. People have beaten me on multiple occasions. I've been shipwrecked. I've been mocked. I've been chased out of town all for the sake of making the gospel known. Now, our passage is pretty clear that Paul is talking about when the church is being persecuted by opponents. However, something great and mysterious comes when the church is persecuted and going through suffering. That is, when we live worthy lives according to the gospel of Christ and we are walking in those three actions those two clear signs will come up. That is the destruction of our opponents and our salvation which is that we would not only believe in Jesus, but suffer for him. Let me say it like this. According to Paul, when we suffer and are walking in those three actions, it assures us that we are living a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is why Paul calls them to do it together. Striving to advance the gospel. Not fearing their opponents. Because when the church is walking as citizens of heaven, living worthy lives of the gospel of Christ, suffering and persecution will come. Therefore, are you suffering for Christ's sake? If so, know that you are not suffering alone. Because you have been called not to suffer alone. Jesus suffers with you and this church suffers with you. Are we as a church living as citizens first? Citizens of heaven first? Or do we rely on living as citizens of the USA first? Are we a church that is Fearlessly, firmly unified with one another? Or a bunch of individuals that come on Sunday, say hi, and then leave? Are we a church that is striving side by side to make the gospel known or not? Are we a church that suffers well together? Or are we strong, individuals that believe they can face suffering alone. Let me finish with this. A gospel-worthy life is a fearless, firm unity with one another produced by the gospel that glorifies Christ through our suffering. When we live like this, then we can have assurance that we are living a worthy life according to the gospel of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would be glorified in our lives. It may be hard for us to know exactly what the persecution that the Philippians were facing. However, we right now can move forward together, practicing, living out what you have called Paul to write to the Philippians. We can do that right now, Father. So give us one mind, one spirit. Let us be fearless in the face of our opponents. But Father, put this in our hearts and minds right now. That we would not be a bunch of individualistics doing a bunch of individual things, but that we would be one body as Christ being the head. Practicing, living as a fearless, unified body that is striving side by side for the sake of the gospel so that when persecution does come our way, we could glorify your name through our suffering. Pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.